0: All right, Matthew chapter six tonight, and uh, we've been going through this for quite some time, unless we take a break from for different things here and there. But this is what it, just 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 a tremendous sermon that Jesus preached here, and it's the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. It covers Matthew five, six, and seven, and so we're we're nearing the end of chapter six. By the way, let me mention this. I I I want to mention it more, and I forget often, but. A um, couple things, the, the website, our church website has a lot of information on it, and by that I mean that, um, well, number one, we have all of the sermons on there, so if for some reason you miss a service, and, and it's not there so that you can skip services and then go back and listen to them, but I understand things happen, you get sick or whatever else, and so if you miss a service, you can always go back and listen to it, uh, or if, you, you know, if there's something in there that the Lord really spoke to your heart about and you wanted to go back and listen to it again, you can always go back and listen to them. And um, they're on podcasts now, so uh, you, can, you can get all of our sermons on Apple or Spotify or wherever you, you, know, wherever you get your podcasts from, um, but you can go back and listen to it. If you go to the website, it'll give you that direct link to it, and you can listen to it right there from the website. But, um, so that's helpful. But then also we have the devotionals. I put those on there twice a week. I put them on on Tuesdays and Fridays. I send them out to your emails, uh, and most of you probably get them and... and, and um, have your email already signed up on there? But if you don't, you can sign up on your email and get a devotional. They're not that long; they take you probably, you know, five minutes to read. But it's just a, a thought for the day, uh, some verses that you can read, and some, you know, some some extra verses that you can read along with that thought and so on. But uh, just things that are helpful, I think, and um, you know, ways that you can use to, for spiritual growth. And that's what we're. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. What we're doing for so. I always forget to mention that, but, but I, I thought about it while I was sitting there, so I thought I would mention that, but Matthew chapter 6, um, in, in this sermon uh, that Jesus preached, there are several distinct shifts or changes in topics, and of course, you know, Jesus is not going to, I, I won't say that he's not going to, but basically every, every time that you see Jesus getting up to talk... Many times he jumps around to a couple of different topics and he's trying to teach them, his disciples or the Pharisees or whoever he's talking to, about several different things. And, and this Sermon on the Mount is certainly no different and, and we've been through a lot of different things, especially in chapter 5, really jumps around to a lot of different topics and a lot of different things that Jesus tries to cover. But Matthew chapter 5 starts with the Beatitudes and for the rest of the chapter he shifts to basically discuss what God originally intended in the law. And then he talks about all of these different things. You've heard of that it was, has been said, but I'm saying, and he talks about the things that he wants to talk about. Matthew 6, the first 18 verses, and we looked at all those, kind of split up, but a lot of verses that deal with prayer, um, but emphasizes that our religion is to be primarily lived out before God instead of in front of men. And then he kind of shifts focus, and we looked at the first kind of the message that he shifted that focus onto uh, last week, but the rest of the chapter Covers the matter of money and our relation to it, and of course we saw in the last message that Jesus introduced this subject, this topic of money, by tying it to our hearts. And what he says is, and in, I mean you can go back and look. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Lay up for yourselves, verse twenty, treasures in heaven. So, verse twenty-one then ties all that together. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So he made it very clear that there was no point in piling up money in this life. It's not going to do you any good anyway. Uh, Pile up treasures in heaven is what he's telling us to do. And we looked at that. He tells us that investing in his work moves our hearts toward God. But his next thought, and that's what we want to look at tonight, is found in verse number 22. And he says this, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In, in essence, what Jesus Christ was saying here is that a love for the things of the world and a love for the things of God cannot exist at the same time. I was making it very clear that there is a love for God and that there is a love for the world, but you can't do both. You're, you can't be on the fence. You can't. Have, your, have one foot in the things of God and have one foot in the world. He says you're going to either love the one and hate the other, but you cannot serve God and mammon. So, that's our basic thought tonight. So tonight, let's examine this idea that you cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray, and then we'll look at it. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the time we can spend together tonight. Pray that you give us something that we can use that will help us be uh, better with our money and better for you and better in your service. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Men, first thing is this, and and Jesus makes this very plain when it comes to not being able to serve God and mammon. Number one is you will serve one or the other. You will serve one or the other. That's our two choices. God and mammon are are both portrayed here as masters. You know, um, uh, in an employment sense, when you're talking about working for somebody, the master owns the business. And the employees work for that, that owner. They work for that master. We don't normally, we don't call it master anymore, but that's what he's talking about. You're going, to, you're going to do the work for the master. Masters, as we all know, do not exist to serve us. It's the other way around, right? Uh, a guy doesn't own a business so that he can serve the employees. Now, a good employee, a good employer will be kind to his employees and he'll do this. But the employees are there to serve the owner. They're there to do the job that the owner is giving them to do. They're being essentially owned by the owner. Now, the Christian, as a as a blood-bought child of God, understands and agrees with that fact that you're going to serve one or the other, and that one of them is going to be our master. At least we should agree with that. And as a matter of fact, for Christians, often we we delight in that fact because God's our master. They're pleased, you know, we're pleased to serve God. But on the other hand, uh, a nominal Christian, and I believe nominal Christians exist by the millions in the United States of America, people who claim to be Christians and, and who may even be Christians but are not Christians that are on fire for God, Christians that are not doing something for God, but a nominal Christian who has given himself to serve money does not understand this principle. And, and, and one of the big reasons why is he thinks that money is his servant, and, and, and that he is the master. After all, he spends the money how he wants to spend the money. I'm the master of my money, not the other way around. But what a, what a weak Christian does not understand, what these nominal Christians fail to understand, is that he's not the master of his money. His money is controlling him. And the reason why is it controls him by debt. It controls him by uh, monopolizing his time, his talent, his... His, his energy, his focus, it dictates the terms of his life. It drives him to do the things that he does. Everything that he, the decisions that he makes, the, the determination to be in church or not be in church many times is driven by money, driven by, by business. And I, I understand that there are, cert, there are professions. Brother John is a police officer, okay? What would happen if we took every police officer off the road? It would be chaos out there, right? What would happen if we took every nurse and every doctor out of the hospital? right? It's Sunday. You ought to be in church. It's, it's not possible. But there are a lot of businesses that would go on just fine without you if you didn't run it on Sunday. I mean, look at Chick-fil-A, right? They're hanging on by a thread, I think. They're still there. They're still, they're still you know, not doing the business on Sunday. And, and I believe that's one of the reasons why they're so successful. God blesses them for that. Because they realized a long time ago that you don't have to be open on Sunday in order to be successful as a company. And God blesses those things. But Many people are controlled by that money. They're controlled by, I've got I've to work, I've got to have this going on, I've got to be constantly doing something, and that money controls them because it tells them what they have to do and what they can't do. And they think that they control the money because they're spending it, but that money is actually controlling them. It swallows up their minds, swallows up their hearts. They live mammon, they eat mammon, they drink mammon, they breathe mammon. And money and things that it, that it can buy have completely mastered that Christian. He is the servant of money. I don't mind God doing that. In fact, I want him to do that. I want God to control me that way. Uh, after after all, we belong to God twice over. Number one, he created us, but if we're Christians, if we're saved, and all of us in this room tonight claim to be a Christian, then He owns us a second time. He's bought us again. He's redeemed us a second time. But I, I you know, I belong to Him because because of, of The fact that he created me, but also because of the fact that he redeemed me. I want God to control me in that way, and I certainly don't want money to be able to to have that control uh, and have such a claim over my soul, but money is just as much of a God to the carnal Christian as Jehovah is to a mature Christian. And and, and this this is written to Christians, by the way. This is not written to the unsaved. This is not saying that, oh, you know, Christians are controlled by God. Those wicked people out in the world are controlled by money and things and everything else. Many of them are. But there's a lot of Christians that are being controlled by money. They're being controlled by what the Bible calls mammon. Mammon is an old word. And although there's some confusion as to where that word originated from, there's reasonable support for the idea that it comes from a very old Syriac term relating to the ancient Greek mythological god Plutus. and He was the god of money. It's an amazing thing that money becomes a god to so many people, but there's no doubt that you're going to serve one or the other. Jesus speaking here gives us no room for any middle ground. There's not, well, you can serve God nominally, and you can serve money nominally, and just kind of walk down the middle, but that's not a good idea. He says, you're either going to serve God, or you're going to serve mammon. There is no middle ground, and you're going to serve a God. It's up to you to decide which one. So you will serve one or the other. But here's the second thing. Jesus illustrates this with our vision. He says that, verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. I've read, as you can imagine, that the treatments that somebody has to go through for a brain tumor are very extensive. Um, many times, someone that gets a brain tumor, uh, the treatments last over a year in most cases, trying to shrink the tumor and where they can and when they can, doing surgery and so on. But uh, the side effects of those surgeries, a lot of times, include a temporary, a temporary inability to focus one eye. Um, and, and what happens then is, is both of those eyes kind of wander in whatever direction they want to wander in, and, and it's very, very confusing. It's very disorienting because you can't you can't get both of your eyes looking in the same direction at the same time. You can imagine how difficult that would be, right? Um, for, for most people, and, and for people who are functioning normally, both of your eyes turn and look at the same thing at the same time, and that allows everything, I mean, it's very difficult actually to, to get... Two of your eyes to look in different directions, you know, and maybe you can make yourself go cross-eyed or, you know, turn one eye in and whatever else, and your vision is very blurry when both of your eyes are not focused singularly on one thing, right? And that's exactly what Jesus talking, is, is talking about here. Good vision is single vision. So many times what happens with somebody that's had a, uh, a brain surgery is that they have to wear a patch on one eye. The one eye that, that keeps trying to wander away, they have to wear a patch over it so that they don't get so confused and so disoriented by what they're trying to look at. Good vision is single vision. It concentrates primarily on, on one object and everything else is just automatically able to adjust to focus on that object. On the other hand, I think that when you try to focus equally on two different things, it never works out well, right? It never works out well for us to do that way. That's why eyes, even though there are two of them, they they automatically look in the same direction, and it's very difficult to try to look in two different directions at the same time. Good vision is single vision. A lot of times, a child of God that's trying to focus on both God and the world, or God and money, or whatever, you know, mammon includes a lot of things, but if it's not focused on God and it's focused on something else... And they're, but, but they want to pretend like they're a Christian and they still want to go to church and they still want to try to do uh, the things that they do in their ministries and they're still trying to serve and they're still trying to do these things. And what's happening is they're trying to look at two different things at the same time and it's very, very difficult. It's very confusing. It's very disorienting. It's almost impossible to do those things. It's, a choice has to be made about which one you're going to focus on and which one you're going to serve. And Jesus makes that point very clear. Now, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Keep your finger there in Matthew 6. We're going to come back to it. You know, the thing is, you can try for a time to juggle both. You can try for a time to to serve God and to serve the world. But sooner or later, one or the other is going to take the precedence in your life. Somebody who is sold out for God and going 100% for God, and then gets involved in a business or gets involved in, I mean, there's any number of, and and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that being involved in business is wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But when that starts to take your focus away from the things of God, and now you've got half a foot in the things of God or or one leg in the things of God and one leg in the things of the world, eventually you're going to have to make a decision. You cannot stay there. One of those is going to take precedence. You're either going to go all after the world or you're going to go all after God. You can't have both. Paul said that, sadly, of of a young helper that he had by the name of Demas. He says this For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I can only imagine the struggles that must have been going on in Demas' life. Here he is, serving with the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul. Paul was, in Christian circles, very famous back in those days. I don't know who you could compare him to. I mean, maybe somebody like Billy Graham. I'm sure, I mean, Paul was a whole lot more conservative than Billy Graham eventually became. But I'm saying, you know, somebody with a name like Billy Graham, you know. I serve next to Billy Graham. I'm with him. I'm, I'm one of his traveling partners. I go to these things with him. And, but then somehow, somewhere along that way, Demas started looking at other things. He started looking at the world. And I can imagine that for a time, Demas was trying to do the things of God right there with Paul. But he wanted the world at the same time. And look what happened. Demas ended up making his choice. One thing finally took precedence in his life. And Paul had to say sadly, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas wasn't sold out for God one day, waking up the next morning and say, you know what? Forget all this. I'm going to serve. I'm, I'm just going off into the world. You know what happened? Something got his attention. Something distracted him, and he started following after those things, and he started moving more and more and more in that direction, and it started taking more and more and more of his attention, and eventually that world, the mammon, took precedence. I believe Demas was saved, but he loved the present world, and he left the things of God. He could not continue long in that confusion of soul, and he chose to serve mammon. What a sad, sad commentary on a life. You can't serve both. You're going to serve one or the other, and Jesus illustrates that with our vision. But number three, both of these make a total demand of us. Turn over to Mark chapter 12. God makes a total demand of us without hesitation. God's not saying, "Mm, I'd love it if you'd serve me. No, he demands that we serve him. He says this in Mark chapter 12 and verse number 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Jesus is not hiding anything here. He's not mincing words. He's not saying, it'd be great if you'd serve me. I'd love it if you'd put away those worldly things and come and serve me. He says, no. This is a commandment. This is the first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. That's everything you have, all your strength, all your mind, all your heart, all your soul. That's everything. And he says, I want it. Serve me with all of that. And this, like in so many, so many other places in this sermon, we, we can see a marked difference between God and the world. In fact, turn over to Matthew chapter 19. Jesus dealt with a very wealthy young man in Matthew chapter 19, a, a nobleman who thought he had, was doing nothing wrong. And so one of the things that Jesus told him was this, in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now, we talked about this very clearly in the last message. I don't think Jesus was saying that we have to give away all our money. But it does mean that we can't focus on that money and God at the same time. And that's, that's what he was telling this rich young ruler. And the reason why Jesus told him that is because he knew that his heart was so wrapped around money that he could not give those things up to come and follow Jesus Christ. And this, this young nobleman had come to Jesus and he said, everything, I've done everything that the law has told me to do from my youth till now. What, what am I lacking? And Jesus said, go sell everything you have and come and follow me. And he pointed out the glaring problem in that young nobleman's life. He could not give up his money. He could not give up the mammon to come and serve Jesus Christ. Both of these things are making a demand on us. The interesting thing is that God's very plain about it. Give me your heart. Give me your soul. Give me your mind. Give me your strength. I want it. This is the first commandment. Do it. Serve me. Money is very subtle in the way that money is not demanding that we serve it. It makes no clear demand on us, but it does make just as much of a demand as God does. But it does that with with great subtlety. It represents itself as a servant, promises that it's going to bring joy to us. It promises that it's going to serve us in every way that we want to serve us. Supposedly, it offers everything that a person could want, but the real truth is that your heart goes where your money goes. And that's exactly what Jesus told us in in verse 21 in 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 the passage that we looked at last week. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you give your money to is what your heart is going to follow. And if you give your money to things and pleasures and toys and all of that kind of stuff, that's where your heart's gonna be as well. If you give your money to the things of God, that's what your heart's gonna follow. It's, it's very plain, it's very simple. If you love money, you're gonna serve it. And if you, if you serve it, it, it will seek to claim every bit of you. It's often termed, Maybe with a twinkle in your eye, as the Almighty Dollar, right? You ever heard somebody say the Almighty Dollar? My dad said that before. I've heard him say it many times, you know? Oh, there you go. Go, you know, maybe not us necessarily, but the Almighty Dollar. And that just implies that money can do anything for you. It's the Almighty Dollar, but not in the essence, but not in that sense at all. It's Almighty because, like God Almighty, it demands worship, it demands that we serve it. Uh, it's almost to be expected that a lost man is going to find himself in that position, serving money, serving things. But when a, when a Christian does, it's a contradiction in terms because we, we should not be serving money, we should be serving God. So you serve one or the other. Jesus illustrates that with our vision. Both of these things are going to make a total demand on us. God, very plainly and very clearly. Money, not so clearly, very subtle that it's going to make these demands on us. But lastly, a Christian that's in this condition is in great darkness. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. Not that he's going to go to hell. No, we've been saved. But he'll think that he's serving God while he's actually serving the God of mammon because you cannot serve both. He ends up throwing his life away on a deception. That says, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 23, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Christians that are in that condition many times cannot see their own sad condition. And they're, they're, just, they're in the dark to it. He thinks that he's in terrific shape. He sees himself as walking in light. In reality, the light that he's walking in is darkness. And you see what Jesus says about this? It, it, it's, it's almost like a contradiction the way that he says it in verse 23. If, if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, if you think that you're walking in light and you're actually walking in darkness, if you got yourself so blinded as to think that the direction that you're going is the right direction when it's the total opposite direction that you should be going, well, let's see, that's 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 just such a great darkness compared to maybe a man who's walking in darkness of sin and everything else. And so, um, you know, I think that that brings that brings to mind the people in the Bible who tried in fact turn over to second kings chapter 7 uh, 17 sorry but but people who tried to serve God and some other god at the same time now during the days of the divided kingdom and I don't have time to get into it but Israel was separated 10 tribes went one direction two tribes went the other direction the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes they were separated and they each had they each had a different king and in the southern kingdom uh, you had about half of the king, uh, the kings that ended up serving God in the northern kingdom. Not even one king ended up serving the Lord, and this is in the nation of Israel. And that's what all of Second, First, and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles is all about. Uh, but um, they destroyed the 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 um, God sent judgment down on Israel with the Assyrian Empire, and. They destroyed the capital city of Samaria. They they, they just they rolled the Jews up like a carpet, and then they just kind of disseminated them wherever they wanted to disseminate them. And that's one of the things. They did that in in, in, the, in um, uh, Moldova, right? I mentioned that idea that, that the Russians came in. They, they took over Moldova. They brought people in from all different regions and put them all together so that they were all speaking different languages. They, uh, they couldn't communicate with each other. There was no way that they could rise up against the Russian government, to become their own nation and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's exactly what the Assyrians did with the northern kingdom of Israel. They assimilated them all together. They, they took people from everywhere that they had conquered, all different languages, all different cultures and everything else, and put them all together in the same place so that they couldn't speak to each other, they couldn't rise up in some kind of rebellion. And so when the Assyrians sent the Jews elsewhere... They they brought in a different group of people to resettle in that land and and you know the Jews had, that the Jews had been taken from and, and so we find this story in Second Kings chapter 17. Now I'm not going to take the time to read through all of that, but after they transported the Jews out of uh, out of Israel, King Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, brought in people from Babylon and other cities to settle in Samaria, and. These people, they had no knowledge of Jehovah. They had no knowledge of the God of Israel. Uh, they, they claimed this land. The Lord sent lions among them to teach them to fear him. So this is a kind, of a, it's kind of a weird situation that's going on here. They're settling in Samaria, which you remember that the Jews ended up absolutely hating the Samaritans because even though they were considered to be Jews, they were a mixed race of Jews. They had, they had been a mixed race from all of these other places, and that's how Samaria ended up becoming the Samaria that it was. Remember, the Bible says that Jesus had needs, he must needs go through Samaria. That was an important thing because the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that they would literally walk all the way around the city of Samaria. It would add a couple extra days to their journey, but they were willing to do it to not have to go through Samaria. Jesus went through Samaria, and that's where he met the woman at the well and saw her get saved and all the other people that she brought to him and everything else. That's the Samaria that we're talking about, but... God sent lions in among the Samaritans to basically start eating people as a punishment for them not following him. And so they, in this distress, the the people who had resettled there in Samaria came to Shalmaneser and they said, you've got to do something about this. These lions are killing us. And so the the basic superstition underlying this idea uh, of them trying to stop these lions, Shalmaneser, decided that he was going to go in and bring in a priest that had been one of the priests in the temple of God. And so the idea was that this, you know, this, this idea would somehow pacify the God of Israel and the lions would go away. But what happened as a result of that, uh, or, or not even as a result, but in the midst of that is they, they didn't seek God fully. They were just trying to seek this prophet to, to pacify the, the God of Israel so that the lions would go away. Anyway... I say all that to say that that instead of pursuing God with all their heart as a way to escape these lions, they only pursued him half-heartedly. They reserved a good chunk of their devotion for the other gods that they were already serving. Long story to get to what we see in verse number 33 of 2 Kings chapter 17. I wanted to bring you in without reading the entire passage up to that point. It says this, they feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. And what ended up happening was that you had the theological confusion that gave birth to the Samaritans. And despite the similarities that they had to the Jews, they're still an absolutely separate people with a very different religion. And why is that? It's because they were very confused, because they were trying to serve God. They were trying to pacify the God of Israel, while at the same time serving the other gods that they wanted to serve. Aside from the, the, the awful results that come, there's something terribly sad about people that, that are deceived to think that they can serve the, the, the God of Israel, Jehovah, and some other God at the same time. Now, the very first commandment is absolutely fundamental. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, what does it say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so that brings us back again to Jesus' emphasis on the original intent of the law that we see earlier in the sermon, Matthew chapter 5. The Jews of Jesus' day had thoroughly rejected idol worship uh, that that really characterized them in the the Old Testament, where they would go after Baal, they would go after Asheroth, they would go after some of these other gods. They gave those things up, but but the, the mammon worship that resulted from that actually produced a worse state than the first, because this time they thought they were in good shape. And that's, what, that's the whole point that I'm making in this number four, that a Christian in this condition is in great darkness. Because a Christian that thinks he's okay, but is not serving God, is actually worse than somebody who's not serving God altogether. And that's what, that's what the, the condition that so many Christians, whether they realize it or not, find themselves in. They're pretending to serve God, but actually they're serving mammon. And in the process they're ending up so much worse off than if they had just gone after mammon in the first place. Churches in America, and in particular, I think even in independent fundamental Baptist churches, are filled with people who think they're serving the God of Jehovah because they show up at church, they show up for the ministries, they show up for this, they do that, when in actuality, their heart is not after God at all. Their heart is after the things of the world. And they're trying to appease God and they're trying to have the things of the world at the same time. And God makes it very clear, you cannot have both. You either are going to serve God or you're going to serve the world. And if you're serving the world and pretending that you're serving God, you're in a greater darkness than the majority of people who are just in darkness. There's no, nobody that's so blind as a person that's not going to see that they're following after mammon, and that think that they're fine. So the question tonight is this. Who or what are you serving? Who or what are you serving? Who are you raising your kids to serve when it comes to their education? Do you have them in school so that they can grow up and, and get a good education so that they can make a ton of money? Or do you have them in school so that they can grow up and serve God? how easy is it for you to skip church for things like work and sports? I read a quote that someone posted that said this, church should be your excuse for skipping things, not the other way around. Church should be your excuse for skipping things, not the other way around. So uh, what, uh, what 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 this all comes down to tonight is this, let's examine our hearts. Remember that that's what God's after. He's after your hearts. Turn to one last passage and we're gonna be done. Your servant one of these two gods, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And if your vision is to try to focus on both God and mammon, then I can guarantee you that, that not only will you eventually hit the point of confusion and hit the point of just absolute inner darkness, but if you're trying to serve God and mammon, then I can promise you, you've picked the wrong master because you're not serving God at all. You're serving mammon. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 19 says this, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Oh, look what he's saying here. He's saying there's a choice between you. You have the choice between life and death. You have the choice between light and darkness. And I'm begging you, I'm imploring you, please choose life. Please choose light. Serve God with your heart. That's what he's saying. You may think that you can serve God and mammon, but you can't eventually, eventually you're going to be all in toward one or the other. You must make that choice or I can promise you that a choice will be made for you. If you can't decide whether you're going to serve God or mammon, you've already made the choice. You're not serving God. You're serving mammon. I urge you to choose carefully because the choice you make Is going to determine, number one, probably the way the rest of your life is going to go. But number two, and most importantly, the rewards that you get in heaven. If you choose to serve mammon, you might enjoy it here. But you're going to wish you had chosen the things of God when you get there. You cannot serve God and mammon. You'll either hate the one and love the other. But you can't serve both. So who are you serving tonight? Does God have all of your heart? Or are you serving mammon? Because if God doesn't have all of it, you're not serving him. You can't be middle ground. He's either got all of it or none of it. Does God have all of your heart tonight? Let's make that choice to give it to him. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the time we can spend together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the clear direction that we have in it and the clear choices that you give us. I pray that you'd help each one of us to make the right choice tonight. And I know that many of us, every one of us in this room would say that we're serving God because that's what we want to do. I believe everybody in here wants to serve you. They're not, they're not not serving you on purpose. But Sometimes we let the things of the world creep in. We let them take over. and The next thing you know, we're not serving you at all and we're in complete darkness. We think we're just fine. Fooling ourselves into thinking that everything is okay when in actuality you don't have our hearts at all. So, God, I pray that you'd help us to give our lives to you tonight. If need be, that we'd rededicate our lives to you tonight so that you might use us in a great and mighty way in this new year. So thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As the piano plays, the invitation is open. You can come.